and welcome to The Long Short, a new podcast brought to you by AIMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, focusing on the very latest insights on hedge funds and private credit. My name is Tom Keogh. AIMA is the global representative of the alternative investment industry with around 2,000 corporate members spread across 60 countries. Of these, our fund manager members account for approximately $2.5 trillion in hedge fund and private credit assets. Each weekly episode of The Long Short will examine topical areas of interest from across the alternative investment universe, news, views, and analysis delivered by AIMA's global team, as well as a host of industry experts. So whether you're a hedge fund or a private credit industry veteran, a student of the industry, or just someone interested in learning more about hedge funds and private credit, this podcast will be your ideal companion to help navigate you through the long and short of this fascinating industry. Welcome back to The Long Short. Now, it's fair to say that Hong Kong has endured a very difficult past few years, firstly with months of social unrest back in 2020, amid an escalation of tensions over new laws being put forward by China on the Special Administrative Region, followed by nearly three years of COVID restrictions, which still continue today, all of which has undoubtedly left its mark on all aspects of life. Hong Kong's financial services sector has been subject to endless speculation, with some commentators suggesting its reputation as one of the world's leading financial centres is losing its allure. According to some reports, fund managers are relocating out of Hong Kong to pastures new in APAC and the Middle East, and there are some concerns too about a brain drain of talent leaving the region. So in this episode we catch up with Philip Meyer, General Counsel and Co-Chief Operating Officer of Oasis Management, as well as being the chair of the executive committee of AIMA in Hong Kong, and Michael Bugle, co-head of AIMA in APAC, to get their thoughts on what is going on out there. Both Michael and Philip were instrumental in authoring a new research paper, which AIMA has done in conjunction with PwC. The paper described alternatives in Hong Kong building on the city's strengths. And later in the episode, we hear from Lisa Choi, partner in asset and wealth management in PwC Hong Kong. But firstly, we turn to Michael and Philip, you're very welcome to the long show. Great to be here. So let's start with updating our listeners on the state of play regarding COVID restrictions in Hong Kong. What's happening here and what are the challenges that you're having to contend with regarding the quarantine policies? Why don't I just shoot first? So the state of play currently is, I think, one of optimism and one of improvement. Hong Kong clearly has faced some headwinds with COVID and its COVID's policies and you know, as we stand today, quarantine is very much in play, as in seven days uh, in, a, in a hotel, along with various PCR tests along the way. The travel ban on police say has been lifted. So that is the sort of state of play from a quarantine perspective. So the challenges are therefore quite numerous. Travel obviously is very hard, uh, as the need to quarantine. So managing a regional firm is very difficult. And although it can be done virtually, like we have been doing it for the past two and a half years, it is somewhat taking its toll. It also will take its toll, or is taking its toll, in that there's no inflow of visitors. Visitors being investors, potentially, fresh talent, or even as simple as close family members. So that, that are the, sort of the main challenges, if you like. The other issue is, even if you want to come, quarantine hotels are at a bit of a premium, i.e. hard to find. Now, that said, the alternative community in Hong Kong is very vibrant and very busy. This current state of play is definitely not new to us. We are very well used to it. And the reason for the optimism 
is that, as you know, recently we celebrated 25 years handover, and we've also got a new Hong Kong administration, which is just, I think, now finishing its second week uh, in power or in play. And they are well aware of the frustrations and of the past. We are now looking forward, and I can tell you, signs of improvement are already on the horizon. Yeah, Michael, I was just going to ask, uh, you know, I've been reading a variety of accounts that suggest anything from, you know, Hong Kong is soon going to be permanently closed for business, um, to this being a temporary blip, and Hong Kong uh, will recover and pick up from where it left off. So is there any end in sight? You've mentioned that you know, things are improving, but is there any end in sight to these restrictions being yeah, lifted? Yeah, for sure. For sure. The new administration has already made various noises. The first example was the flight ban, which I mentioned, which means that more flights will be coming to Hong Kong and therefore more visitors. And the, there is also very much talk of a curtailing um, quarantine. Um, at the very least, they are saying no quarantine by November. Um, but I actually very much anticipate some good news over the next couple of weeks where we could be going down to five or three days, which I think will encourage some new movement into Hong Kong, be it, be it um, tourism or business folk. So, Philip, let's bring you in here. Uh, we mentioned in our intro that uh, PwC and AMA have, have collaborated on this uh, very interesting new report. And now we've set the scene. Could you tell us a little bit about what the aim was here and, and why you feel it was so important to publish this now? Yeah, sure. Thanks, Drew. Um, AMA and PwC, we viewed the, uh, the the drafting and creation and publication of a, of a vision paper, a blueprint uh, for the uh, continued success of, of Hong Kong as a leading international financial center to be critically important at this juncture in Hong Kong's history. Um, Hong Kong has enjoyed um, a long history of being the leading international financial center, um, uh, particularly in Asia. Um, it, it leads the, uh, in the number of hedge funds and, and alternative asset managers um, in Asia. Um, and it has enjoyed a, a, a special status and, and, and is really a unique and wonderful place to live. Um, certain geopolitical uh, local and then pandemic challenges have um, have occurred over the last few years that have caused um, many observers um, to uh, to think about the future of Hong Kong and what may need to be done to preserve its its status as leading international financial center. Some commentators who are cynical and more negative, and frankly, I think wrong, have have declared and, and predicted the demise of, of Hong Kong um, as leading international financial center. Um, others have been more constructive. But in particular, I think the pandemic has, has highlighted some of these issues. Um, what AMA had not seen in the industry, and I, frankly had not itself ever done, was to take a step back, look at Hong Kong, try to understand and articulate what had been the factors that had led to Hong Kong's uh, current position as leading international financial center? Think about those. Think about how those were being affected by these current events. And to create a document that would serve um, as a starting point for dialogue uh, with government, with regulators, amongst stakeholders, um, to have a serious discussion about those factors and 
how they were under threat, and what needed to be done to, to, to preserve them uh, in order to preserve Hong Kong as a leading international financial center. You know, and in some cases, it's a preservation of something that uh, some view may be under threat. In other, in other cases, it's um, to continue to uh, evolve or better innovate in certain areas so that Hong Kong remains competitive. Um, a lot of the focus certainly is on the pandemic and um, Hong Kong's uh, current response to the pandemic, including quite restrictive um, measures, particularly the, the, the hotel quarantine that, that's currently in place. But we wanted the paper to be much broader and a little bit more timeless um, than just focusing on the current quarantine restrictions and, and to really take that more holistic view. Um, but we did view now as, as the right time, and, and like I said, a, a critical juncture in Hong Kong's history. Um, we have a change of administration uh, that's just taken place. It's the 25th anniversary of the handover of Hong Kong from the British um, uh, back to China. Um, so it's a very important time here. Um, and, and, and we think this paper does a great job at, at encapsulating um, the factors and the, the six pillars, which I, I think we'll talk about in a bit. Um, and then Ama's view and, and a blueprint for how um, that success can be um, uh, repeated and 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 in Hong Kong status uh, preserved. And, and Philip, um, you, you mentioned the the challenges related to the pandemic, and you know, respectfully, the reaction uh, from the region opening up for business maybe a touch slower than the rest of the world has been doing as well. But you you know, you've alluded to other factors also uh, being at play, you know, namely, how does Hong Kong operate? under Chinese law and to the extent that policymakers really need to be aware of what's worked very, very well you know, for Hong Kong. You know, as both yourself and Michael have said, it is a leading global financial center. And these are the points that you draw out in the paper. And you've mentioned these six pillars, you know, as we say in the paper, that set Hong Kong apart. So for our listeners, could you elaborate on these, please? Absolutely. Um, and just to preface this, you know, a lot of a lot of times you get people um, writing, well, let's say, quote unquote, vision paper about a particular region or, 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 or city, and they focus on things that don't exist. Right? They focus on a wish list of things that they want um, that need to be introduced, whether it's an innovation or focus on, let's say, green technology or ESG or whatever the case may be. In the case of Hong Kong, we we, we actually challenged ourselves to not only focus on what we wished for, but to really think hard about what are those things that may need to be preserved in that status quo. Um, and so uh, leading uh, that, that, that status quo and the preservation of status quo um, uh, in the six pillars is rule of law. And so, you know, rule of law, um, uh, you know, can, can means, frankly, a solid legal system, a predictable legal system, one where judicial independence uh, is, uh, uh, is an important component, and, frankly, the common law system that exists here in Hong Kong um, is important and has been important and is something that should be preserved. Um, we were encouraged to hear President Xi at the 25th anniversary handover proceedings uh, in one of the, the speeches he made, make a commitment to Hong Kong's common law system um, as being important to preserve the one country, two systems um, that currently is placed. 
it's very encouraging. It's very important to, uh, to, to, to businesses, um, particularly international businesses, to have that certainty about um, rule of law here. And I think without it, you would see many businesses who not only would stop choosing Hong Kong as governing law for contracts or stop choosing Hong Kong as a arbitration center for any disputes, um, but they move their, may move their businesses away entirely if you don't have confidence in uh, the legal system in, in, in the jurisdiction in which you're operating. Um, the uh, next pillar is, is, a, is tax, right? a tax system. And uh, Hong Kong um, is well known uh, for having uh, competitive tax rates, both personally and corporate, uh, for having an environment of, frankly, innovation, um, a lot of which comes from AMA uh, in its uh, um, proposals to and dialogue with policymakers about how to uh, ensure a tax regime that is efficient, um, that's transparent, uh, and one that's competitive with other um, international financial centers globally. Um, and that is uh, another component of another one of the pillars and, and you know, kind of components of Hong Kong that we believe um, must be preserved and should continue to innovate. Um, the regulatory environment in Hong Kong is another one of the six pillars. Um, Hong Kong enjoys one of the most sophisticated uh, regulators globally. Uh, it's a regulator that is well known to operate with integrity, transparency, um, a regulator that regularly uh, engages in proactive dialogue with members of the industry, including and maybe even particularly AMA during uh, pre-soft consultation uh, uh, um, periods on a wide variety of proposals. That's hugely important. It's not hugely only hugely important for um, for AMA and AMA's role. Uh, it's important for an industry to believe in and have confidence in the regulatory system in which it subjects itself to as a licensed corporation. Um, it's something that uh, needs to be preserved uh, in order for Hong Kong to retain its, its competitiveness. Um, Talent pool is another one of the six pillars of, that have led to Hong Kong's success. Hong Kong has long enjoyed um, both a deep and, and rich pool of talent locally, um, more recently from mainland China, uh, but particularly uh, internationally. Hong Kong has long been a favored Asia destination for, for international talent, um, and that talent pool, I think, is under some risk of being reduced, um, in particular, with some of the strict quarantine uh, requirements and, and, and measures that uh, continue to be imposed. Um, some commentators have talked about a brain drain. Uh, some numbers would seem to support a net-net mass exodus of, of, um, of people from Hong Kong, maybe particularly expatriates. Um, you know, I think it's too soon to declare, again, the demise of Hong Kong um, based on just these limited data points. And, and at, at this point, um, this, that's certainly, I think, a very short-term view, but more must be done in this regard. And our paper lays out some of AMA's ideas for um, how that talent pool can be uh, preserved, ensure that it's deep, ensure that it's, it's rich, um, and to really cultivate both local talent, but continue to be an attractive place for um, international talent to, to, to come as well. Uh, the capital markets is another pillar of Hong Kong's success. Um, Hong Kong is the leading capital market center, leading equity center um, for Asia. Um, the IPO market here is strong, whether it's with Chinese listings 
local Hong Kong listings. Um, the stock exchange here is an innovative stock exchange. It's a very commercial stock exchange. Uh, it's one that works very closely with the regulators here and not against. Um, and that and that um, uh, that attitude of openness and that 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 really that that philosophy and spirit of openness and innovation uh, uh, ensures that Hong Kong remains a um, uh, you know a strong capital market and a strong place for um, uh, for, for for IPOs and, and, and a wide variety of um, capital markets. There's also a good, again, a good deal of innovation here. Um, you know, whatever your views are on SPACs, I think Hong Kong was, you know, uh, was relatively quick uh, to move forward with allowing the listing of SPACs. Um, and again, maybe SPACs is uh, not going to, you know, no no longer the uh, flavor du jour, but, um, you know, but it certainly shows um, quick action. Um, for, uh, for, for, for a city like Hong Kong. Uh, finally, the sixth pillar uh, is proximity to China. And this is something that's not under threat per se, because we are you know, geographically located next to China, but it's trying to ensure that Hong Kong continues to be not only an international financial center, but that gateway to China, you know, and it works both ways. You know, I think many firms who uh, operate in Hong Kong um, have business interests in China, whether direct, indirect, via the markets, and so um, the proximity to Hong to, to mainland China is something that's 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 important, and it's important uh, for Hong Kong to uh, continue to uh, maximize um, the, uh, the the that particular and competitive advantage. Now, the Greater Bay Area is a concept uh, that's being promulgated. Um, in this region, um, Hong Kong would be the international financial center of that greater Bay Area that would encompass Hong Kong, Shenzhen, um, other cities um, in this region. Um, and again, that's a that's a that's a, a trend. It's a, it represents innovation, and it, it it means that Hong Kong has to continue to um, to to innovate to ensure that it maximizes its its rightful place in that greater Bay Area. Um, these are just a few examples of 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 of, uh, of, of these six pillars um, and how important they are. The details of which we we lay out um, in our uh, vision paper. Michael, now might be a good moment just to ask you to provide some additional context. To what Philip was saying there, and and to what we've alluded to a few times now about the importance of Hong Kong in a regional and in a global context. Obviously, given your role as co-head of Amos APAC efforts you get great visibility regarding the growing influence of alternative investment fund universe across the APAC mm -hmm. region. So could you please give our listeners an idea as to the size and influence of Hong Kong's alternative asset management industry and how that compares to other leading glo global financial centers? Sure. Thanks, Drew. Um, you know, to, just to echo uh, what Philip was saying, it, it's, you know, Hong Kong's position in the alternative space globally is very, very admirable. And it hasn't just come about today. It's been years in the making. So, you know, Hong Kong, the wheels have far from come off. The, this will blow over in time. And the pillars of Hong Kong, which have made it the success, will make it shine again very, very soon. If you look at the stats, um, Hong Kong as an alternative regional hub, clearly number one in the APAC region, globally number three. I think the numbers vary. I think you'll see we have 184 billion AUM in Hong Kong plus um, and to put it into perspective, because a lot of people talk about Singapore, we're at least four times to five times bigger. So 
we've got to put everything, you know, into context here. Um, Hong Kong is a very successful place and it will continue to be a, a, a very successful place. Um, to Philip's point, the market cap in the region is continuously being uh, growing and, and, and being allocated to. All the exchanges are growing. So as a result, the investors will always be allocating more and more every year to the region. And therefore, the alternatives industry has to grow along with it. Now, new launches have been very, very uh, strong over the past two or three years, slowed up a little bit this year, but still they are, they are, they are coming through, slightly taking longer to seed because of the quarantine um, problems that we're having. Uh, investors and allocators are not being able to come to Hong Kong as much as they'd like to. So if AIMA membership is anything to go by, our growth grew 11% last year, and a lot of that was in Hong Kong. So um, very, very strong. We're also seeing the growth of the family office space, not just in Hong Kong, but also in Singapore. They are for sure allocating more to the alternative space. So that's also very encouraging. And then also through the private bank, uh, private banking network space, the, the high net worth individuals are also putting more of their monies to work in the alternative space. And that is before we even talk about the great, the greater wealth that is sitting in China and has yet to come down and be allocated to the hedge funds or the alternative uh, funds in this region, uh, specifically in Hong Kong. So actually, um, it's a very positive picture. What we are seeing um, is the decentralization, if you like, of the alternative model, in that managers are opening other offices in the region um, to, to grow their talent, to keep their talent, to seek talent, maybe to be near their investors or to near to market. So I don't see this as a, a negative anyway. APEC is very big and it, nothing, not everything comes to Hong Kong. So it's a very vibrant and strong region and will be going forward. Michael, of course, it's not just hedge funds that Hong Kong benefits from having in the region, but there are fintech firms too. You know, the report mentions... Asia Pacific's fast-growing and entrepreneurial business in technology and in e-commerce and sustainability solutions. Could you elaborate a little bit on this, please? Yeah, as we know, a rising tide floats all boats. So um, it's not just um, the alternative space. It's obviously the ecosystem around the alternative space. And that, you know, adheres to fintech, to blockchain. Even the digital asset space is very, very strong. Um, and it's been actually a very strong part of our membership, both here uh, and globally. So absolutely, we've seen a growth all around in all the various industries you, you mentioned. Um, and it's all very, very positive. Um, offices are growing by the week, by the month. Um, not to mention the private credit side of the business. That's also very, very active. So um, it's not just alternatives, but it's, it's, it's a, the whole ecosystem and the fintech around it. And, and Philip, just to come back up to a point that you made in this around the six pillars and um, the growth of the Bay region and the influence um, that Hong Kong can have on China, mainland China. The report describes how Hong Kong is uniquely positioned to benefit from that uh, access to international asset managers and institutions interested in allocating funds to mainland China, as well as Chinese investment and asset managers and owners looking to gain international exposure. Um, and there are initiatives that have been passed um, since that have enabled Chinese investors to invest overseas. Is that right? 
yes, over the last several years, we've seen uh, a real opening up of the Chinese capital markets, uh, both, as you said, for international investors to get access to and even find ways to operate in China, uh, but also for mainland Chinese uh, investors to get access to um, offshore products. Um, a lot of these programs are still um, are in relatively early days. Uh, they're limited. There are certain restrictions that don't make them suitable for everyone, but it does represent, I think, a general uh, trend toward openness um, and a trend toward innovation, uh, which we're you know, hugely encouraged by and, and frankly, being able to um, operate businesses to take advantage of these programs um, can be done really best from Hong Kong. And I think that's one of Hong Kong's, again, competitive advantages. Michael, can, can I just go back to the, the point you raised before about private credit? Because it's something that we're hearing a lot this year and, uh, you know, not just at, at the Singapore Forum, Amos Singapore Forum, but uh, a few other events here in London as well. And it is connection between the growth of private credit in Hong Kong and also across APAC more broadly. And I think that's a really interesting point. I'd just really like to zero in on for a second. Historically, obviously, uh, private credit has been mostly associated with the US. And when it comes to financing from capital markets, both locally and in the international economy, and in more recent years, that's sort of shifted over to Europe. And now it seems it's landed in APAC. Presumably, Hong Kong is leading in that area. Would that be a fair assumption? Yeah, that, that's it, it. Probably would be a fair. It's fair to say that most of the American private credit firms are in Hong Kong for sure. Um, definitely also in Singapore. It, it's a very active space, and obviously our membership very active in our membership with the AC membership. But um, we all know this business has a long way to go. It's still very, very early days. Asian SMEs demand for growth capital is very strong, will continue to be very strong, which gives the alternative managers uh, the chance to to loan, to refinance, to build partnerships, Um, especially with the banks who are very dominant in this scene in in APEC. I think they're about 75, 80% of the lending scene. They are definitely, without doubt, retreating. So I think the future is very bright and the presence of private credit firms um, and, and, and managers, it's really going to go one way. And the performance to date has been very, very strong. So I'm actually um, very excited. And it's like you said, it's not just Hong Kong and Singapore. It's really Japan, China, all the way down south to, to Australia. And luckily for us, AMA is in every single port to help uh, our members with their private credit strategies. Uh, Philip, um, just picking up on a remark that you made in the paper, uh, you said, and if, if I may, I'll quote you on this, uh, now is the time for all stakeholders with skin in the game to collaborate on how to strengthen Hong Kong's strategic blueprint in order to attract and retain alternative asset managers to ensure Hong Kong continues to be a leading international financial centre in Asia. So very strong words there, Philip. Um, you know, if you could maybe... Uh, Expand a little bit more on that. Why come out with such a um, a strong message in the paper? Well, listen. You know, as as we said earlier in our in our comments, we view now as a critical time in Hong Kong's history, um, and for Hong Kong to retain its uh, position as a leading international financial center, and frankly, as a wonderful place to to live and work and raise families, um, uh, more needs to be done. Now, 
we talk about a blueprint, we talk about six pillars, and we've articulated that um, in a lengthy but very readable uh, paper um, because we didn't want to focus only on quarantine restrictions. We didn't only want to focus on that as many others have. To us, um, while we don't dis necessarily disagree with some of the things that have been said by others, we felt that it's too narrow and too myopic and really didn't um, take into account everything that's happening in Hong Kong and at the moment and, and what we believe needs to uh, be taken into account. Um, and we wanted to, I think, be more constructive than, than we had seen others being. And that's why we, uh, I do say now is the time for all stakeholders in the game to collaborate. How can we strengthen Hong Kong strategic blueprint? And, you know, part of that call to action, which it, it really is, um, is number one, we can't take Hong Kong's success for granted. Um, that means I can't, AMA can't, Beijing can't. Um, all of us need to understand that Hong Kong has enjoyed success and has the potential to continue to be the successful IFC that it has been. But we can't take it for granted. We can't rest on our laurels. And um, it's going to take everyone coming together to both um, help understand uh, how policies can be improved, um, how uh, you know rules and laws can continue to be um, uh, updated, to ensure that innovation is taking place to retain Hong Kong's competitiveness. Um, but that also requires not just unilateral decisions by policymakers, it requires dialogue. You know? and, and again, to the Hong Kong government's credit, to the SFC's credit, to the regulator here's credit, um, they do seek that dialogue. And again, I'm happy to say, I'm proud to say, that dialogue usually starts with a conversation with AMA. We're super proud to be that one of those first touch points for um, for the government and for the regulator and for the exchange um, to get our views because they know that we um, we have a big tent that we represent you know very serious stakeholders across the industry um, and then we have something smart and constructive to say and so this paper again is meant to to lay out that vision uh, but to really to facilitate that discussion. Um, but again, there is this now time is of the essence, as we say, time is of the essence. And I, you know, I'm not saying that if there's, you know, if there's still hotel quarantine to some degree in 12 months, well, that's the end of Hong Kong. To me, that's a very short term view. It's a very myopic view that I think reflects emotion, um, but not really a constructive thinking. Um, but uh, we uh, and look, we've been encouraged so far by the response just within the last few days of this paper. Um, and we intend to use this paper uh, to have that um, that that dialogue with all stakeholders, uh, starting with the highest levels of government here. So thank you for that, Philip. That's a, that's a perfect segue to my last question for Michael, because although this paper has just come out and, and as you mentioned, been very well received both in the media and in the industry, it really does represent the beginning and not the end, though it's been published. I would love to give you some time off now, but as you mentioned, time <laughs> is of the essence. So we, we've talked about the dialogue and, and Amos' central role in there. So just looking ahead, now this paper is out there and hopefully a lot of interesting conversations will, will come from it. So just to put it directly to you, how is AMA participating in this dialogue and, and where can our listeners find out more about our work, both locally and internationally? 
Sure. Good question. And I think it's sort of a continuance of what Philip uh, alluded to earlier in the previous question. You will find AMA is very active across the whole piece, not only with strong membership growth, but with most managers very much involved, not only as members, but also in our events calendar. So with membership at an all-time high and membership in the APAC region at 36%, the engagement that we are doing with regulators and government bodies is at an all-time high, and our events calendar is throwing out eight to 10 webinars a month. So all one has to do to be engaged in the dialogue, be connected with AMA, look at our website, see what topics we're covering in any given month, um, always open for new topics or areas of concern. We, we love to, we are here to help and make the industry stronger and successful. So the dialogue continues. And lucky for us, we are in Tokyo, Shanghai, Hong Kong, Singapore and Sydney. Um, so be very happy to help and continue the dialogue between our membership and the industry and all government bodies to make us better, stronger and more successful. Well, all that's left is to thank you both so much for your time in giving us this uh, additional colour on the paper. And, and as I say, I'm, I'm sure it will spark a lot of interesting conversations with all stakeholders and policymakers in Hong Kong and mainland China. Uh, once again, the paper is called Alternatives in Hong Kong, Building on the City's Strengths, and is available to download from the AMA and PwC website. Uh, personally, I'm really looking forward to seeing this paper progress and everything that comes from it and uh, both of your continued good work in driving progress in Hong Kong's alternative investment industry. So thank you both. And I'm absolutely certain that we will have you back again to talk about all the good work that's happened. Thank you. Sure. Thank you, Tom. All talk back. to you guys later. Thank you. AMA is delighted to announce the European Digital Assets Forum 2022, which will take place this October in Zurich, Switzerland. The half-day forum will convene investment managers, allocators and industry professionals at the intersection of alternative investments and digital assets. Speakers and participants will explore the latest frontiers of digital asset investing and opportunities, including the operational and compliance regulatory risks and challenges that need to be bridged for true institutional adoption. To learn more and to register, visit our website at www.ama.org. And we're delighted to have Lisa Choi, partner in Asset and Wealth Management in PwC Hong Kong, join us also today. Lisa, you're very welcome to The Long Short. Thank you, Tom. So, Lisa, why did PwC then decide to partner with AMA on this paper? Well, first off, we're very proud to have this opportunity to partner with AMA this time um, to produce the, this paper. Um, PwC, as the leading global professional services firm um, with a very strong practice in asset and wealth management, is always committed to play a role in the industry um, to shape and support um, the alternatives business um, for the betterment of the financial services ecosystem. And it's a great opportunity um, to have this paper with an aim to support rich dialogue between key stakeholders um, in the alternatives industry to continue strengthen Hong Kong as an international financial center, um, setting out a range of opportunities which we have uh, described um, in the paper for the industry to further grow and prosper. So we do hope that this paper, with all the positive messages, um, can make an impact and contribute to the growth um, of the alternative business in Hong Kong. 
And the report describes how Hong Kong can benefit from the enormous growth in wealth taking place across the entire China region. Can you elaborate on this a little bit further and in particular how this may change things in terms of potential new capital being allocated to the alternative investment universe in Hong Kong? Sure. Thanks, Drew. I'm happy to uh, further elaborate on this. I think um, the enormous growth in wealth, um, not just particularly in China, but also in the wider Asia-Pacific region, um, if you look from a wider spectrum. Um, The report gives up some statistics on the growth of top 10 markets, according to billionaire wealth, um, from 2009 to 2020. And we can see from the statistics that, in fact, um, in Asia-Pacific and, in fact, mainland China, the growth of that billionaire wealth um, has grown 12 times, whereas by comparison in the U.S. and U.K., um, it has grown less than three times. So I think that indicates enormous um, wealth accumulation um, in Asia Pacific. And if we dig a little deeper, um, the report also shows some statistics on the proportion of billionaires, whereby mainland China comprises of 50%, Hong Kong 8%. So with that very positive numbers, um, we can Uh, welcome a lot of compelling opportunities for alternative asset managers in this Asia-Pacific region because sophisticated and wealthy individuals are all looking to diversify their portfolio, shifting away from the traditional equities, bonds, investments, and more and more so towards um, alternatives investments to achieve higher alpha and higher uh, income. So so I think those very promising um, growth in wealth um, definitely plays a significant role in introducing um, more opportunities um, for alternative managers. Yeah, so you have then that captive marketplace then looking to um, take advantage of, as you say, the great opportunities that exist when it comes to um, alternative investment management in the region, and in particular Hong Kong, which is the, the leading jurisdiction across APAC. Um, so related to this then, uh, Lisa, how can alternative investment fund managers in Hong Kong capitalize on their proximity to mainland China? I know this is one of the six pillars in the report. That's right. Um, it is one of um, the six pillars that uh, we have extensively uh, sort of des- described in the paper as a very fundamental and strong capability of Hong Kong. Um, I think with us um, in Hong Kong, uh, having unique geography and unique competitive advantage that we're just um, a train ride away uh, from China, um, we do um, uh, capitalize or take the opportunity um, to uh, further uh, prosper or uh, welcome opportunities for alternative managers um, in in this region, in particular supporting some of the recent um, initiatives Um, And one example that um, I could quote um, would be the Greater Bay Area initiatives. Um, It is a very important economic development strategy of China, um, driving more integration between Hong Kong and the Greater Bay Area locations. And I think with increasing participation um, of Hong Kong in those initiatives, um, one specific example um, is the Wealth Management Connect. Um, This aims to promote cross-border flows um, within the Greater Bay Area regions um, and also to enhance integration, financial and investment um, flows. 
I think at the moment, uh, this is still a relatively new um, program, um, the Wealth Management Connect. Um, so it is um, limited to banking institutions and traditional asset manager products. However, the evolution um, of the Wealth Management Connect is very positive and very welcoming. Um, branching and expanding into alternative asset classes once there's more track record and there's um, more demand um, from investors and also the flow and size of uh, capital um, accumulates more and more so. Um, so I think in the industry, we do see a very positive um, uh, uh, outlook um, on the Wealth Management Connect. And second of all, I think um, to also increase participation as part of the Greater Bay Area Initiative um, is to enhance more investment opportunities um, for private funds, be it hedge funds, private equity funds, or venture capital funds to invest more in the Greater Bay Area region, um, especially all the technology big names um, in, in China, uh, also the emerging venture capital businesses, um, all based um, in the southern part of China. I think that also creates compelling opportunities um, for alternatives uh, industry. And at least you would, of course, heard us speaking with Michael and Philip earlier in the episode, and, and, and both of them did not hide from the fact that Hong Kong is having to face up to multiple challenges. And, and indeed, you know, this is mentioned in the report as well. And only this week, you know, we're again reading stories of businesses threatening to relocate, and, and we know of some, some that have done so. So given your position then as key employers within Hong Kong, could we get a long, short exclusive from you as to what level of commitment PwC are giving to Hong Kong going forward in terms of managing talent? Sure. Thanks, Tom. Uh, yeah, so happy to to share uh, what we do and how committed we are um, at PwC uh, in terms of managing talent and also um, from a recruitment perspective. So as a key employer in Hong Kong, um, we run a people business. So people is the most important asset um, for us to operate. Um, and as such, we spend a tremendous amount of time, effort, and investment on how we um, continuously um, retain talent and also recruit new talent. So I think um, it's twofold. Um, for new talent or new entrants um, in, in the industry, um, we always have a very strong and long-standing um, campus recruitment program um, to hire new graduates um, from the top universities in Hong Kong. Um, and Separate from fresh grads, uh, we also hire um, experienced um, hires from the industry, um, those with a few years of experience, um, either in the accounting profession or in the alternatives industry um, to join us. And they make great contributions uh, with their commercial experience. And setting aside on just um, recruitment or hiring, um, we also spend a lot of effort on um, retention and grooming and developing existing employees and top talent. So we have a great program on training development. We also have um, a a great a welcoming program on uh, WeFlex, whereby um, we also um, look into so, uh, welfare um, of, of staff to ensure that they're happy to work at PwC, flexible hours, flexible dress code, flexible location. Now we're going into a new normal sort of working arrangement this day and age that we offer great opportunity and flexibility and listen to their feedback. So to us, um, well-being is a very important um, uh, uh, topic as well. 
So I think both on the technical side of training development plus uh, staff welfare, um, and by way of a combination of those, um, we manage talent and sort of retain um, talent um, from 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 different perspectives or from different angles um, as as a key uh, employer in Hong Kong. That's very heartening to hear. Thank you. I'm sure a fair few listeners will find that very reassuring to hear, and especially those looking to move into Hong Kong as much as those uh, already there. But finally, then, we, we've spoken about the challenges and, and the naysayers that are out there who have been talking about the demise of Hong Kong as a, as a global financial centre. But, but what's your reaction to the current situation? And, and could you just sum up what you believe to be the future prospects of Hong Kong as a financial hub, sort of regionally and globally? I think Hong Kong has always been um, a very um, pro- uh, prominent or pre preeminent hedge fund hub uh, in this region, and it continue will be um, as the International Financial Centre. Um, despite ups and downs, and I think despite challenges, um, which um, every jurisdiction or at different times, um, there there will be um, such challenges. Um, we do see that fundamentally, um, the six pillars, as we um, highlighted um, or fully described in the paper, will always be there um, in terms of h- how Hong Kong sets itself apart from um, other places. And those key capabilities and competitive advantages um, will always always be the the bread and butter um, for Hong Kong to continue retain um, its role as the international um, financial center. So as such, I do think um, future prospects of Hong Kong will will be bright and prosperous um, with successful um, collaboration of all key stakeholders um, in the alternative industries, making contribution and uh, positive um, and optimistic uh, uh, development um, as, as an industry together. Um, so I, I would say that uh, bright and prosperous will be will be the two words um, as setting the future prospects of Hong Kong. Excellent. Well, thank you so much, Lisa, for your time. And I'd say on behalf of AMA, uh, thank you to, to all your colleagues at PwC for their partnership and, and guidance in creating this paper, which I think we can all agree has come a, a very timely moment for Hong Kong. And uh, I, I like ending on a, on a, on a view of optimism. Uh, but thank you for your time today on The Long Short. Thank you very much, Drew and Tom, and great to be here today. The Long Short was brought to you by AMA, the Alternative Investment Management Association, the global representative for the alternative investment industry. As always, you can get the latest episodes by subscribing to The Long Short on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts and Amazon Music, or by streaming episodes directly from our website, AMA.org. Thanks for listening.